0: At the earthquake in san francisco
1: back in 1906 they said that old mother nature was up to her old trick that's the story that
0: went around but here's the real lowdown
1: put the blame on main boy on Maine. One night she started to shim and shake. That brought on the Frisco quake. So you can put the blame on Maine, boy. Put the blame on Maine. Okay. Am I recording, Andrew? We're back. Alright, now we're back. <laughs> I was Andrew started to like say and we're back and I'm like, we're not recording yet. And he was like he as if like a robot he went back into first position. Great story, bro. <laughs> yeah, man. Dig it. Alright. So we come back to you this week uh to once again uh bring you something which we have liked to do in, in the past and we haven't done in a little while, our required reading. And also, uh, bringing back something which we did uh, back in February, is uh, maybe a discussion about sex in movies. And this time, though... Make sure that
0: your children are all around.
1: We're going to lay down some truths about the birds I know. and the bees. Yeah. You want to know where babies come from? Or just how people have fun not making babies, but in the ways that babies are made? Uh, but regardless of complaint. how you like to have so, fun, so anyway, we have
0: a book called "100 Sex Scenes That Change Cinema."
1: Yes, this is by a British author. His name is Neil Fulwood, and uh, that, that that name is so British.
0: Yeah, he's, he's also ne- re- he's written another book called "100 100, uh, 100
1: uh, Violent Scenes." In, that oh, okay, cinema. yeah. On the back of the book, yeah, "100 Violent Films That Changed Cinema," and the films of Sam Peckinpah. So clearly, oh, and he also has. Short fiction, poetry, and other things like that. So he clearly um, likes movies that
0: uh, push the envelope. And you know he knows what he's talking about because he has a picture of Catherine Deneuve on the
1: front. Catherine Deneuve from Belle du Jour, oh. no less. Which is her tied up in... Uh, well, don't that... spoil it, Jack. Well, all right. Um, so, so what this book does... Sex. Sex. Yeah, baby. Wow. All right. Um... <laughs> I don't know what I was doing. Um, You know um, what I like like about this book?
0: It starts out with early, earlier Hollywood, the
1: 1940s and 50s, Um, talking a little bit about film noir. Well, the thing is, the book—I well, I should say here—the book is split up into five chapters. It's not a very long book, by the way. It's only about 100 and uh, like 150 pages, so you could probably read this in like a couple of nights if you put everything else away. The thing is that if you stop having sex. The chapters are are set up into implicit, explicit, the European aesthetic, pleasure and payment, and forbidden flesh. Now, the implicit section does have some movies which are from an earlier period in time, but they also but he also features a couple examples which I didn't that I didn't expect that are fairly recent. Like he Couched in between G W Pab's Pandora's Box and uh, Double Indemnity, he brings up uh, from Dusk Till Dawn. Yeah, and I really love that example that he mentioned because I, it's like I almost didn't even think of that really as a sex scene, which is uh, the sex scene at the, at the Titty Twister. But what we're talking about is implicit, and there is a weird there
0: is a weird role that musical scenes play. In certain movies, like in a film noir, or in this case, from, from *Dust Till Dawn*, which is kind of like a horror thriller, if you want to be yeah. really technical, mm-hmm. they mark a. I, I found this theory really interesting that whenever you have a woman who plays sort of like a sort of a
1: femme fatale, yeah, like Gild- does, Gilda or a *Double Indemnity*, whenever
0: she does a musical scene in the middle. That's where the plot turns, and everything
1: starts mm. to go south. And in does Till Dawn, it seriously goes south. Really oh, yeah. Really fast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because in that movie, like, you know, the movie's basically two halves in one movie. And the first half is, is more of like a crime film. And, and the then... second half, we're not going to tell you, because you have to see the movie. Yeah. I mean...
0: But I miss... I... I feel kind of torn sometimes when I think about sex scenes. Like I feel like film should be more open about it, but I really do envy the area era when sex was really implicit. Oh yeah. Well, when you, when you hinted at it and it was in the shadows of, of the
1: dialogue and and the imagery, he, um, this author ends his implicit chapter on Lolita. And I love that he did that, but it's interesting because he compares the, 1962 Lolita, directed by Kubrick, and then the new. uh, uh, The remake. With Jeremy Irons. With Jeremy Irons and Dominic Swain. And I. Because I've seen that remake of Lolita, and uh, it's like. Again, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I remember enough things about it where I think, man, you. You know, some of this should have. Maybe could have been left to the imagination. Again, I know you're trying to be a little bit more faithful to the book but that was also a book that was written in the first person in a kind of jaundiced perspective. That is Humbert Humbert. Whereas in the Kubrick film, what I love about that so much is, yeah, a lot of it is you like, that's, what's funny about it because you have this guy who is living in this house just so that he can get this woman's daughter, even though the woman is crazy about Humbert Humbert. And, um, (laughs) and then he brings up the sort of sex scene of, uh, when they're in this hotel room and she wakes up in the morning with him and they're like, why don't we play a game, a game? And then he, she whispers something in him and he's like, Oh, do you do that with him at camp? And it's like, well, let's find out. And then it just fades out. it's like, Oh my God, you know, that leaves so much to the imagination. Yeah. And, I know that tech, you know a filmmaker probably wouldn't go that direction today, which is why, again, uh, Adrian Lyne was the one who directed the remake of Lolita, and he shows pretty clearly that they have sex in that motel room. Yeah. But it's not... Uh, and and, and it's, that, that kind of slightly... I know that, yeah, it's, it should be a little more erotic in that way, but it kills some of the mystery. It does. A, a bit. A bit. You, It's always that idea...
0: I mean, this sort of happened... In, se- in seven you think you see a lot more than what happens in
1: that film yeah or or texas chainsaw massacre
0: right texas Chains- i was just listening to that episode of the podcast today
1: okay
0: <laughs> when i when i got nothing to do i just listened to myself talk for
1: about an hour you're you're so adorably egocentric all right well, i am the most the i'm
0: the greatest egocentric person in
1: the universe um, jack yeah i yeah this book brings up a lot of examples that you wouldn't Think of in a book called "A Hundred Sex Scenes." And it's not cinema. exactly
0: structured where you where he says, "Well, this movie, this sex scene changed things because of this, or this, or Mulholland Drive is a great sex scene because this is the impact, or it because, it. or even it, like w- Rear Window." Like, yeah, you
1: wouldn't think that there's a sex scene in that movie. No, there isn't. But it's no, about but the
0: treatment of sex in that film.
1: Yes, yeah, there is a lot of, you know, you have a guy who's looking out his window at different people in their apartment complexes. And also, Grace Kelly is there in the room with him. Right, really? And he's not paying any attention... He's, he's paying some attention to her, but not on the level that she would really want.
0: Yeah. And Hitchcock would more or less deal obliquely with sex in a lot of his films. I mean yeah. there there's the uh, there's the implied re- repressed homosexuality and Rope. They don't mention that in this book, but it's worth bringing up. Yeah. And then there is the the impl- the implicate the the necrophili- necrophiliac uh implications of Vertigo, which they talk about in the last chapter. Oh yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a gr- it's great, uh, well, that first section is just great just because of how much you can suggest in a film without showing a single instance of nudity. Yeah. And it's something that I don't think we'd ever go back to in film these days. I feel like the genie's been let out of the bottle in terms of sexual uh, explicitness and nudity. Not saying it's a bad thing. I just think that style has changed a little too much for us to, for filmmakers to go back to that sort of implicit well, uh, revelation. Well, of sex. one
1: th- one thing I should also mention about this book. Um, now, this the it, the book came out in two thousand three, so that is where the book kind of ends at kind of the point of uh, uh, Etu Mama Tambien and Talk to Her, which are two incredible films that feature some very sexy things. Like he he talks about uh, he writes about Etu Mama Tambien and how. Uh, and I like, you know, he, he of course this guy is very much about, he has his opinions on these sex scenes. He, he he kind of looks down actually sometimes on certain scenes and then praises others to a very high point. And he praises right. Ichumama Tambien for a good reason because it's something that, you know, this could be done almost as like a juvenile sex comedy. But the way that it's framed around these two characters going on this road trip with this woman and now they're all kind of a little bit lost in a way and trying to find each other. It brings out a different dramatic dimension. Yeah, and, and
0: films that are more explicit thing like and things that exist in the sort of erotic thriller genre. Yeah.
1: These are films like Basic Instinct or Fatal Attraction. Yeah, which God, I was I, I, I this, this this some of those chapters just brought me back to some of those scenes and like and Basic Instinct. Uh... Yeah,
0: but these are films which even though they're significant in the they're significant for the case in this book that they show that they kind of that they exploit sex in 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 the thriller genre and it's more or less uh pointed at
1: at men. Yeah, uh, that that's a that's a key point. He brings up what is the point of view? And that is a very important point when it comes to sex in cinema. How is the director positing the point of view of the characters, sometimes of the camera? Um, is it from a male, possibly sexist point of view? Uh, because what we're talking about is in a film like Fatal Attraction,
0: you see, uh, when the characters do have sex, it's it's you
1: see you see uh, women's bare breasts, you know that you don't see Michael Douglas's penis. In no, words. you don't see that. Maybe at best you see his butt. Um, we can always hope. Yes, and also he also brings up with Basic Instinct. I'd almost forgotten that there's kind of a rape scene in that movie kind of well he borderline like it's not with and it's not with the sharon stone character it's with the other woman and i hope it's gene H- Triplehorn, his, uh, his
0: psychiatrist yeah
1: and it's interesting that they, even though they try to do a role reversal in that movie because sharon stone then is kind of riding him to a point where uh you know like as if, you know, it's supposed to be something about violence. It, you know, that's supposed to be sort of the implicit nature of that. Or explicit. Um, I was also just reminded that Joe is just is a bad writer. <laughs> uh, and like, Paul Verhoeven's such a good director. How did Joe Esterhaus get a career? That's one of the craziest things. Like, movies like Basic Instinct, that's like him at the top of his game. Well, then you get Jade... And Showgirls. Oh, Showgirls. I don't know if he really did that much after Showgirls. I think he kind of became a little bit of a pariah. I mean, (laughs) after everybody gets AIDS and shit, I mean, what would you do? Actually, does Showgirls pop up in this book? No, they don't mention Showgirls. Yeah, which, good. (laughs) That's that's not, I don't know if that movie really has any sex scenes that change cinema. That was more like titillation for titillation's sake. Which is another thing that this book tries to distinguish: What happens if a movie is just trying to titillate you, or is it is the director trying to provoke something with his message? I mean, he brings up a movie which I brought up on our last sex discussion, which is Last Tango in Paris. And, yeah, uh, the has scene a lot he, to say about Last Tango in Paris. He has a good deal, yeah, and of course, uh, you know, the fact that the scene that a lot of people, of course, remember is when he you know, forces himself on... uh, When Mom Brando forces himself on this woman and... Through the back door. Through the back door, man. And and it's very much a scene where she's in pain and it's very much just like these two people just... It's not shot in any way that's sexy. Let me put it that way. It's very much about... A person at a very desperate point.
0: That was a question that came up. I was thinking about this as I was reading the explicit section, mm-hmm. and I was I and I just kind of wrote this down in this note. I
1: said, "Are sex scenes sexy?" Mm. It again. That's another thing that depends about point of view. I think that's a question that a number of filmmakers have brought up over time. That you would get. You know, you might ask somebody from like the old age of cinema. I don't. I say old age. I mean like from a. <laughs> to- in right time. Um, no. In in at a time when maybe somebody like Hitchcock was working, or uh, or Billy Wilder, is a movie like some like it hot sexier than a movie you might see today with like Scarlett Johansson or something. Well, Under the Skin. That that would be an interesting scene if he did an updated version of this. book. Oh, that would be or would be worth it. Or I brought up, I think the the movie Blue is the warmest color. Which is one of those movies which is uh, very frank and very explicit. And yet, there is a quality to it that's very sensual. Because you're just watching these two people have lesbian sex for prolonged periods of time.
0: What I think is really telling is when sex scenes are hilarious. Now, In, in, in what way? Okay, do you remember when I talked about 300, Rise of an Empire? <laughs> yeah when they when they, they everybody knows what they're doing yeah but uh, the thing is like in in another script if it wasn't 300 that Wouldn't. whole like eva green's character is plainly trying to seduce themistocles i mm-hmm. forget who she was supposed to be artemisia that's who she was okay artemisia is tr- is clearly taking a seductive uh role mm-hmm. in in their meeting and you, and, you know, she's going to try to seduce him and get him to turn against the Greeks. And you're like, well, this film is obviously not going to have the hero turn against his own side. Mm-hmm. So he's she's not going to seduce him. But then
1: he just grabs her and they start having sex anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very much like it starts as kind of a seduction scene and then it just turns into very fiery sex. Yeah. Like all angry sex. Yeah. And then, like, it kind of gets to the point where I think they cut to a shot where the two guards outside just kind of look at each other for yeah. a moment. <laughs> I love that.
0: Best scene in the entire movie. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, by far. And I kind of like that movie, but mostly for that scene. I think that scene's a masterpiece. Yeah. Um, You know what I was just thinking as you are talking about this? I think that, just like with anything else in the movie, how it's acted and how it's directed really, really matters. I mean, there's a reason why, like, I will still think about certain scenes from uh, – he brings up La Dolce Vita in this book. And I forget what scene exactly he mentions, but a scene I will always remember from La Dolce Vita is when Anita Ekberg goes into uh, the fountain. Hmm. And then, you know, Marcello Mastriani, he kind of confesses his, like, feeling lost and all this stuff, and he doesn't care about anything. And they just have, like, this moment together, and it's so sensual. Yeah. And yet, there's no—they're not—they're not naked. They're just sitting, standing there in this fountain. Now it, compare it, a
0: scene like that to like an entire movie. that you mentions the story of O, oh, which God, is that movie's bad. <laughs> which is, you can find the things in story of O sexy. I mean, I guess it depends on your taste or how you yeah. view it, but. The film itself doesn't have anything to say about the characters' motivations yeah. or about their their mindset, or nor does it justify anything that's happening. The things just yeah. happen, basically in line with the, with the events of the novel. So you have an entire film which is known for its sex scenes and and say, and S&M, yeah, and then you compare that to *La Dolce Vita* with one scene of a woman drenched. With water from a fountain, yeah. having this one moment
1: with with a man. Yeah. Now to be fair, when you have Anita Ekberg there, that helps. Oh but, yeah. But all right, so he spends a little time, for example, talking about uh, Buñuel. He brings yeah. up he brings up Viridiana. He made
0: me really want to watch Buñuel again. I've uh, got to watch Belle de Jour once. More. I
1: got to watch. You know, a movie that I I've watched once and I liked it a lot. I didn't. Qu- I don't know if I quite put it in my top like, tear, but I still liked it, was that object of desire. Yeah. And he mentions that obscure object of desire. That obscure object of desire. His final film. And I almost kind of forgot if there was even a sex scene in that movie. Because I think that, again, Buñuel is one of those people who raised a super strict Catholic, and you feel that kind of underlying passion and tension. He talks about it in his autobiography that I read, that, you know, sex was just such a Awful, dirty thing, and yet, you know, it almost made it to the it point w- where he could do it with, like, pro- like a brothel with somebody, but that was much easier than just meeting some girl and then going home. And yeah, and that's what Buñuel is all about. I, I, I don't quite understand this whole idea of the middle class
0: and the bourgeoisie, the, the way Buñuel thinks about it. But I But he's. But it's all about. I. I. You know. So you don't understand it. You're saying. No, I mean, like, I, I. really can't identify with it. I mean, maybe because I'm middle class and I really don't care. <laughs> but, I. But I like st- he's talk. He talks about the, the like the hypocrisy and, uh, and, uh, sort of decadence of the middle class. Mm. And, I. I understand what he. What he's getting at, where's like pe- mm. middle class people think they're normal. They think they have normal lives, but no, in order for them to have sex, they to enjoy sex, they have to go to a brothel instead of really just talking about it and being with their wife. Yeah. And I really wanted to see Belle de Jour again. Mm. And it gave me, this book gave me an interesting perspective on Belle de Jour, which connects it. Eyes
1: Wide Shut? No. A little different. Because he brought that up and I was kind of like, Wow. That's a because he just to briefly mention when he has his chapter on Eyes Wide Shut, uh, he made me suddenly realize, oh yeah, you know Eyes Wide Shut, it's like you took the the husband's point of view, and made him like the main character because it's like he can't reach up to his wife's fantasy. You reverse it. Imagine if Nicole Kidman's character in Eyes Wide Shut was actually. Going out and having sort of like the sex that she was just sort of fantasizing about. Then you get Belle de Jour. Yeah. But what was what you what do you want to say?
0: But Belle de Jour, he, uh, uh, Fullwood he summarizes it as uh, basically Severine, the main character of Belle de Jour. She's suffering from ennui. She's not really attracted to her husband. She she likes him. But she, uh, but he doesn't live up to her fantasies. Yeah, and she goes to work in the brothel, basically just out of curiosity. Yeah, it's, and it's... I realized this was why Fifty Shades of Grey was so popular. <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah, what, was it because women? It, it or, appeals to middle
1: class m- curiosity about like what happens when you give into this sort of sexual desire which is you know not is like because the sex which is somewhat shades taboo is not, i yeah, mean somewhat taboo
0: sadomasochism isn't exactly mainstream
1: you could say that or, now, or if because it, of a 50 shades of gray it might be
0: well yeah but is it treated with the same i would almost is it treated with the same sort I, of uh not reverence what is it, I, the sort of respect that other forms of sex are tr- are treated.
1: I will say that after just watching uh, a few video reviews of 50 shades of gray wherein I saw uh, a lot of clips from the movie, um, I will say that Belle de Jour uh, handles uh, that world better than uh, 50 shades of gray. <laughs>
0: but it's also a commentary on a film like 50 shades of gray where it's it's not necessarily that people were searching for an S&M book. That would give the, that would give some outlet to their fantasies. It was the curiosity about the sort of taboo nature of it that got th- its readers to go pick it up and read it. Yeah, uh, it, not because it was a good book or because it was what they wanted. They were just curious about it. It just it was. It was sort it, of a novelty. It, it, it
1: filled the same kind of itch that. Um, oh God, I'm gonna mess this up. In like the 50s, there was some book.
0: Uh, Talk it out. What what book was it? What, it, it what was it about? A,
1: it, it had a... Like, what, it was like Pence Place or... Penny? Peyton Place. Peyton Place. That was, yeah. yeah. Peyton Place was that same kind of book at the time, too. Like, that was something that... Uh, um, It was kind of like, ooh, I'm reading this. And I... Ooh, this is kind of a big secret. And I don't think people thought Peyton Place was any kind of great book. But it somehow was... Uh, popular with like yeah. the middle class a middle class who are kind of in this life that you know they're just going by day by day doing the same things so they need a little bit of fantasy just a little bit to get by yeah um whereas though when you get into something like sallow uh, that's when you get into a whole different animal i oh. like that transition wow i love it uh,
0: <laughs> from sallow. to sallow. this is a film i've just been hearing a lot about because people yeah. bring it up every once in a while, there, it, there's some, and I feel like, yeah. and I feel like if I was to watch it, I, I have this strange, I'm strangely drawn to this film for some reason. I can't explain why the siren
1: song of poop calls. <laughs> but I'm, but for some
0: reason, <laughs> I'm going to see this film.
1: Uh, you, you know what, you, uh, knowing you, yeah, you should see it. I don't know what you will think about it because, of course, you don't know me. No, well, I know you a little bit. Um, but I think the thing with Sallow for me is that, okay, Salo it is extremely Sallow they bring up in the, in the last, in the yeah, last the, in chapter Forbidden called Flesh. the
0: Forbidden Flesh chapter, which deals with uh, super taboo things like necrophilia. And, yeah, and of and course, Sallow is,
1: is the poster boy for taboo subject matter because it takes place in World War II, or right near kind of in the latter part of World War II with some Italian fascists who and, take some prisoners and basically make them into their like slaves yeah. and not just, you know, they make them into kind of, I don't even know if you, I'd call them sex slaves. Cause they don't spoiler. They don't really have sex with them, but they put them in like dog collars. They make them walk around. They, 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 they punish them by sh- pooping on them. Yeah. Uh, they,
0: they, they use them like toilet paper. Basically.
1: Yeah. They use them like garbage, which is supposed to be, you know, Pasolini's big statement about the horror of fascism. You know, we kind of get it. Fascism, bad. Do we yeah. need to see poop
0: for uh, that? <laughs> I also am of the opinion that you don't really have to
1: convince us on of the uh, the terribleness of fascism by this. See, point. it's funny that like Pasolini, you know, because he got shot by somebody who was, you know, offended by that movie, I guess. And uh, if apparently his plan was to do uh, what he called a trilogy of death, because before this he had done three films. The Canterbury Tales, The Decameron, and Arabian Nights. And he looked at this as his, like, trilogy of life. I guess because it's about... that. Those are also movies that feature a lot of sex. Uh sex. By the way, ladies, if you ever wanted to see Tom Baker's penis, go see uh, The Canterbury Tales. You, or it might be yeah. the, the Decameron. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, that's a random segue. I don't know what came into me.
0: But but then, but also Salo is based upon the book One Hundred Twenty Days of Sodom, yeah, which by, is referenced uh, also in La Remember the mm-hmm. end where that Jesus looking guy comes out of the. Uh, oh, cave? so he mentions Dessaud.
1: Yeah. Okay, but I mean, like the whole script of Salo is basically One Hundred Twenty Days of Sodom by the. Yeah, Matthew you're Desaad. you're basically. I mean, the idea of that book, I think, was that. Uh, you're watching people getting tortured for a hundred days. You know what the... Sodomy. F-
0: yeah. You, you, no, sodomy is, is different. It comes from the city
1: of Sodom. Oh, Sodom and... Okay.
0: It's okay. It was an easy mistake it's to make. It's easy
1: to make that mistake. You'd think that maybe S- sod, de- sod, sod... Yeah, and, and it's... and like. Oh, and there, called... is that from sadism? Does that Sadism come from comes
0: from DeSaud's Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Now we... You cleared that up. Okay. But there, there are some weird reactions to, to Sod's work if uh, people who read it have either one of two reactions both of which mm. are pretty strong either a they are repulsed yeah or b they laugh their heads off
1: well well <laughs> in the forbidden flesh chapter uh one of the things he talks about is quills which is the movie about De sod yeah and with jeffrey rush played marquis de sod uh that was a good movie that also had uh kate winslet and uh michael Phoenix. yeah he was in that movie yeah right um I forget, like, that movie has a lot of sex. I, I can't remember one single sex scene. There's a lot of debauchery in that film. Um, what I like, too, he ends the book with uh, Last Temptation of Christ, which yeah. we talked about a couple of times. and uh, Which f- is
0: only an ic- extreme and taboo in its implications. Yeah, like, like the way the that idea- they
1: show... The, the, when they show the, you know, quote, scene between Jesus and, Ma- and Mary it's more it's about his sort of fantasy if he was human yeah uh, uh what can you say about yeah, it it's uh it's it's a really sort of ideological explicitness yeah well a similar thing too with the devils which although that is god man the, the devils so good <laughs> that that's a movie i want you to see at some point that's a movie that you can't even really get in the US because they are just some Thing about like the director's cut of that, and Ken oh. Russell's dead, and you'd think that you know the Criterion Collection would get that, but um, but what are some other things about the the book that you wanted to, to mention? Because there are a lot of really great movies talked about here, you know. Stuff uh, like... I like
0: that I found out a little more about the Crying Game. The Crying oh, Game yeah. is basically just a, been a punchline for me for the last mm. few for the, for my entire life. One of my mom's favorite movies. Interesting. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I have... really had no idea what it was about really yeah so you I, didn't, I, I knew really? I knew like that I knew the reveal you didn't know the the actual plot right I, I as I said it's been a
1: punchline yeah I mean the the, the, the story of the crying game is actually more like uh, it's it's a serious movie it, it, at first if you you know it's the, about
0: political and social
1: issues well, yeah because it, it involves the IRA yeah and it involves kind of what what it means to be part of like that sort of terrorist group uh, it, they don't talk about it in here, but farce Whitaker has this really great monologue in the movie about uh, scorpions, of all things, and what it means to be stung by them and how they mm. act. Um, yeah, and of course, you know that movie that was part of the Weinstein thing. That's how the, that's how they kind of got really popular. Even before Pulp Fiction, that was sort of on their descent. Uh, not descent, ascent. Sorry. Oh, okay. And, um, the, the ascent was caused by the Crying Game. Well, that was a big part of it. That was a movie that they really made it about the twist. Oh. And that movie, it didn't gross a hundred million, but it grossed something like sixty million, oh, which for an indie film was out of this world at the time. You right. know, a movie that didn't really have that many big players, and yet because people were like, "Ooh, what? What's the twist?" And I have to think that you know you should go into this movie. It would be best to not know that any twist is happening because it's not. Well, it's that tough though. Much. It is tough. It is because like, it is it it a punchline. It, right? It's it's like Soylent Green, and it's like I, it's like Citizen Kane. I'll tell you, man. You know, it's funny. I actually got spoiled about the 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 the, the twist of the Crying Game because of Ace Ventura: Pet Detective. <laughs> when I was ten years old, I go to see this movie, and um, uh, spoilers. Einhorn is a man. Okay, uh, hopefully you didn't listen to that. For people who are wondering about the spoiler basement tour but detective, but there's a sh- there's a moment. Yeah, we'll, we'll just well they're, it doing, out. well, they're doing well, they're doing a gag in it. They do a series of gags where Jim Carrey finds out, oh my god, this woman is really a man, and they have a bit that is from the Crying Game, where like he lights his clothes on fire and goes and cowers in the shower.
0: <laughs> um, Other thing I want to bring up. I always heard that "Don't Look Now" had one of the best sex scenes ever made. Were you there when we watched that? Yeah. Oh man, "Don't Look Now." I fe- I I had a I had a real visceral reaction to that, where I I felt kind of betrayed
1: by the end of "Don't Look Now." I I almost <laughs> don't remember the end of it. I I remember Donald Sutherland pulling his daughter out of the the lake. That's a really Yeah, but
0: it it explains what exactly is so special about that sex scene in Don't Look Now. Well, aside from how it's not
1: exploitative and how it's not, and how it is about these two people trying to, yeah, because that that sex scene works because the actual story works, because the stakes are so profoundly emotional and about trying to find some kind of connection and release. Yeah. And I there's an interesting bit of trivia about that sex scene. Mm.
0: Julie Christie, who played Donald Sutherland's wife in that yeah. film, she was she was involved with Warren Beatty at the time. Oh yeah, yeah, I heard about and this. And she was Warren like right, Beatty, right by the set. And Warren Beatty saw this sex scene, and he was convinced it was that real. Donald Sutherland had had sex with Julie Christie, and he almost, and he quite nearly succeeded in getting in blocking that film. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Warren Beatty, you do great stuff, but you're kind of a dick sometimes. You you can,
1: yeah. I I just now I'm suddenly remembering. Uh, when Thanks for wa- listening to the <laughs> podcast, Warren. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> hey, Warren baby, bring me out to Hollywood. I'm not saying these things. That's Andrew. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kind of slightly remembering uh, the Welcome to the Basement episode where they bring up. Uh, Warren Beatty and uh, Ishtar. Oh, yeah, and it's just like, what's with his walk? He makes all these decisions. And it's like, none of them work. Um, uh, anything I, you want to... I'd th- like to bring up... Uh, um, let me see here. Um, yeah, he actually brings up a lot of Nicholas Rogue movies. Not just Don't Look Now. I've, yeah, basically I've, everything Nicholas well, Rogue I've ever seen, did. Well, in the 70s, that was when he had... A major run i mean he uh walkabout i i almost it's like i remember that movie and it almost has that air of like remembering a dream because a lot of that movie is just watching two people walk in the desert of australia just imagine that walkabout is a prequel to mad max well mad <laughs> no you know what? walkabout is mad max with the action cut out <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the best way to yeah um You know, I mean, it's uh, he brings up Almodovar quite a bit. Uh, Now, I haven't seen all of the Almodovar movies, but uh, Talk to Her, I think, might be the one I I put at the top. That was a movie that I saw on my own, but then I saw it again in film class in college. And I was just like, wow, this is so mind-blowing, this movie. Uh, He... um, Of course, he brings... There's a whole chapter I like that he has a whole section about pleasure and payment, which is just about looking at what happens when money is transacted, or there's kind of a business of flesh. Yeah, and films about porn, about about prostitution. Yeah, boogie nights, and uh, and the boogie night scene, I might have brought that up in the last uh, sex discussion. I love that because that's another scene where you think you're seeing more than you are because you're watching a hardcore sex scene play out between... Julianne Moore and Mark Wahlberg. Right. Um and then when they're and, and, and it goes and it's kind of it goes between seeing them but also seeing them through the film camera. And mm-hmm. I, I just love that aesthetic, how they make it about the art of cinema itself, about the process of it. That yeah, these people are having sex but it's being completely filtered. You're not really seeing these people have sex. Maybe it's, in it's little a little It's commentary
0: bit. on cinema, even though they're, what they're talking about is porn.
1: Yeah, I, that that was very uh, that that made a big impression on me at a young age, and it only took, you know, seeing the film like 20 more times to get that. Uh... <laughs> oh, I love you. Notes. Got the touch. Yeah, you got the
0: power. Hey.
1: I don't know if we're gonna go through an episode without referencing that song. <laughs> Well, if you bring up Transformers or Boogie Nights, we have to sing that song. It's a rule. (laughs) um, Yeah, I mean, like I said, if you get this book, again, it's not super long. Uh, There might be movies that he doesn't talk about. Again, it's only 100 sex scenes, even though he talks about the plots of them. Yeah. So it's, in a way, the title, I won't say it's misleading, but you are getting more than just the sex scene. Yeah, he he tries to boil it down to like maybe a moment, but it's funny because he talks about Itu Mama Tambien*, and he brings up the, the at, at the climax of the movie, it's like they have a menage a trois between the two teenagers and Maribel Verdú. Have you seen that movie? No. All right, but the scene to me I always remember is the first time that um, Maribel Verdú and Diego Luna have have sex, and that's like one of those scenes where it's just like wow. All in one shot because you're Alfonso Corone. <laughs> you're showing me like, wow, this is kind of like almost what I would visualize as like a like a kind of sex fantasy if it was happening in real life. What happens if I actually get to have sex with this attractive older woman? And well, first of all, it'll go faster than you think, and <laughs> it's a little bit messier and awkward, and um. And, yeah, he brings up a lot of good examples of Again, there are some movies here that I haven't seen that I hope to see. Stuff like uh, Betty Blue and uh, um, he brought up a few other ones. Oh, man, and also um, uh, In the Realm of the Senses. That's a movie that, in the way that you're thinking that I keep thinking I have to see Sallow, I'd be curious if you ever watch In the Realm of the Senses. Because that's Mm. a movie that, again, from the Criterion Collection, but... It's full of explicit sex. That movie is just like there's there's no denying that that erect penis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's on screen and it's going into holes. Yeah. Um and yet it is very much about like the pain part of pleasure in some ways. You know, because you're dealing with Japanese culture in the 30s and uh, a very twisted relationship that ends with a woman walking in town with a man's penis in her hand. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, one of those stories you hear about him in Florida. Um, so I don't know. Final thoughts on this book?
0: Well, I think the real strength of this book is is that it's an examination of all different aspects of sex about cinema. Yes. it talks about uh, homosexual sex as portrayed in cinema. Both the yeah, that, and that the is an important things. part of it. Uh, yeah, these the sort of yeah. aspects of forbidden sex about being implicit and explicit, and while it's not s- sort of a Showing it's not a it's well it's not a book that says this is the impact of this this and this, it's a book that really takes in in really uh it really takes in well the entire scope of 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 the subject.
1: It, yeah, uh, it tries to take in in, in thematic terms in how uh it's depicted by uh mainstream Hollywood, how it's depicted in Europe and uh other you know in sometimes in Asia. Uh, you know how it's changed from again it starts off in Pandora's Box in like 1929 and goes up to 2002. Uh, like I said, I would love to see if they if he if this guy ever does an update version of this because there are a number of films that now I could say are you know could be included here things like from the movie Shame I brought up with uh, where Michael Fassbender uh, you see like the pain of sex addiction uh and i when I say pain like the oh, scene, yeah. the scene I always remember from shame is uh he kind of goes on like an all night sex bender, and there's one point where he's with like these two hookers in a room, and there's no sound, it's just music, and there's just a shot on Michael Fassbender's face as he's doing a girl from behind. And he looks like he is in total agony, oh, like man. as if his, his genitals are like screaming, stop, stop. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's it, like, imagine that scene in X-Men first class when he ha- he's trying to move the satellite yeah. and, you know, and Xavier tells him find that place between rage and serenity. And he has this look where he's thinking back to his mother. And, stop. Uh, stop. Yeah. That's that. That's that face. In the (laughs) sex scene. (laughs) So I hope, yeah, if that ever happens, there are a number of sex scenes that uh, could make that cut. Um, But yeah, if you think that there are any sex scenes that um, are among your favorites, why don't you tell us? You could send us an email uh, to uh, wagesofcinema at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at the Wages of Cinema podcast send us a message or more importantly, like the page so that you can follow our updates. You can see uh, clips from certain films that, uh, you know, we don't put on the the podcast and that you might give you a good idea of what we do. Uh, You can also follow me on Twitter at Jack Gattinella. And, you know, like I said, we're on SoundCloud, iTunes, and uh, Stitcher. So you can find us on all three of those outlets now. And so you have no excuses. Yeah, we need to hear
0: from you. So, get to writing. Yeah, get to writing. Boyo. Tell
1: tell us a little bit about yourself. Maybe uh do what Andrew does occasionally and send us a postcard from like the Jersey Shore or something. That's a thing I do. <laughs> occasionally, yeah. Um so, you know, next time we'll return with uh more movies. Uh we're getting into October, so maybe we'll have a little bit of uh oh yeah, har- horrifying uh uh, the, I, I can I can only do one voice, Bela Lugosi. I need another horror movie voice. Yeah, it's gonna be horror I season. I'm I, jumping right in. I got a whole list of films I gotta see. I'm gonna have some more horror films. You're gonna see some horror films on the list, uh, segment of the show, uh, and uh, yeah, maybe we'll even maybe we could even do like a whole horror themed episode. That might be fun. Sure. All right. So with that said, I am Jack. And I'm Andrew, and I'll remind you that the wages of cinema is death. Have a good night. Have a good night. And remember, that's death, not sex. I know I ended on that. Sorry. All right, stopping right now. That's the story that went around, but he's the real lowdown. Put the blame on me, boy. Put the blame on Mame. Mame did a dance called the Hitchy Crew. That's the thing that slew my groove. put the blame on me, boys, put the blame on me.